Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our light and our salvation. The light shines on us today from Paul's letter to the church of Gala- churches, excuse me, of Galatia, chapter four. We just heard Paul proclaim, in baptism, you have put on Christ, and you're no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. And today, Paul brings out the fullness of this relationship, literally uses that word with our Lord by using the language of adoption, sonship, and also Abba, Father. What does this all mean? We will find out today. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by the, the wonderful people at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Pastor John Schenk of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Schenk, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you for having me. It's always uh, an honor to be on uh, Thy Strong Word and, and uh, KFUO. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing. It, well, it's a blessing here as well. Our second time together. Here we go. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're just like old hat at this now that's we can right. finish right. each other's sentences you know that's right that's right yeah yeah exactly um and it you know i think there is a special bond for people i would say from uh northern minnesota all the way pretty much to arkansas right now is that we're all just cold what do you think yes and dealing with snow <laughs> and uh trying to move it around i was talking to that's somebody right. from uh from um, New York uh, yesterday on a on a Zoom, and uh, I was, you know, talking about our our dusting and and ice and and you know in the St. <laughs> Louis area, you know, a little bit of snow is a lot of snow. And then he right. started talking to us about heading, you know, like six inches and then like two feet and then another six inches on top of it. And his snowblower could no longer remove the snow anymore. I'm like, well, right. yeah, that's different. You win. <laughs> that's right. They win. They win. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll call it cold fellowship that we are sharing yes. right now, a cold yes. fellowship. Anyways, Today we are um, going to Galatians chapter 4. You know, last time we were together was 2 Corinthians, and I think it fits nicely. There's a lot of similarities in today's text that I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, and so looking forward to getting into that. Uh, yeah, so you know what? Let's just get into this. Reminder to our listeners, that if you have any questions, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. But also I wanted to do something a little bit different also, is I wanted to ask you, our listeners, what do you do when you listen to Thy Strong Word? Um, we've had a few uh, emails, and I encourage you to send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, so far, we received emails as someone said they're writing notes for their Bible study that night, which I, I maybe they're studying Galatians. I'm not sure. Another person does their dishes, which was what I was doing before I became host. And a couple that listens on their Amazon Echo smart speaker and they even eat lunch early so they are not distracted. What do you think of that, Pastor? I love it. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that question. I I like to do a lot of uh, um, KFO podcasting, so I might not be, and this person who's listening might not be listening 
live, but catching us later on, I think that's a wonderful feature and a wonderful thing for the church. Uh, I love to grab uh, broadcasts and, and shows so that I can put them on my phone and then listen to them while I'm getting ready in the morning. Oh, very good. Very good. I like to podcasting when I'm exercising, which is, yeah. which is, which is good. It, and one thing I noticed too, is that when you exercise nowadays, you don't talk to anybody else. So I'm not sure if this is good or bad, but I know my exercises are a lot <laughs> more efficient than they used to be. Anyways, yeah. I digress. But yeah, so send us your email. Um, what do you do when you listen to thy strong word? As we begin to search the scriptures this morning, Pastor, can you begin us in prayer, please? Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, here in this word, you remind us that you have made us heirs. You have adopted us through your Son. You have given us the great gift of your Son's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in which we cry out to you, Abba, Father. Be with us in the midst of our lives as we go through the pilgrimage of this life and bring us, O oh Lord, to that inheritance, everlasting life in your ever presence, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. As we begin Galatians chapter 4, Pastor Shank, are there any introductory um, uh, remarks or uh, concerning the context and background to help us out as we begin a new chapter? Sure. Yeah, if if you've been listening as as a listener and as you have been going through each and every chapter, this last chapter we have, uh, you know, in, in three going into four, we we have some repetition, uh, repetition of certain themes, uh, but now a transition away from the connection, um, the the kind of the greater connection of Abraham's offspring, uh, to the reality of being offspring or children of God. So the mm-hmm. thought of the Galatians thinking that their primary relationship is a desire to be true um, offspring of Abraham, well, that's good, but let's talk about how that is and, and what is an offspring of Abraham, and he kind of corrects that and, and amends that in the last chapter to, to let them know what a true offspring of Abraham is, and now brings them, if they are redeemed by Christ, and they are justified um, by their faith in their Lord, this is um, uh, making them heirs of, of God. And now God is their father, which is a greater relationship uh, than, than only being children of Abraham. Now, of course, we would say, well, this is what it is to be a rightful child of Abraham. A rightful child of Abraham is one uh, by faith, uh, faith in, in Christ. And so he's kind of moving away from that, which would be their stumbling block, or the false message um, is to, to move them away from their foundation in Jesus to a different foundation. And, and as they've been founded in Christ, um, they have a greater gift. They're living in their greater gift as opposed to what the opponents are making them, uh, giving them a temptation to, to believe that they, they need to strive for something else. And that's really helpful. And I just, as I'm looking at this now, uh, that chapter three is really about saying, okay, you are part of the offspring of Abraham. And he connects offspring to Jesus, and this goes to New Israel, all this kind of language. But chapter four, our reading today, Abraham doesn't come up at all. I never yeah. even caught that before, that he's not part of it, because as you said so well, it transfers from 
okay, who am I to Abraham? He establishes that, you know, your offspring, which points us to Christ. Now it is your relationship as a son or an adopted child of our Lord. That's, and not only, not only is it um, foundational, but it's present tense, present tense. That's what you're emphasizing, right? Right. Yeah. And so in so doing, he's deconstructing the argument that was placed against them. So the argument is to be a, a real spiritual person, to be a real uh, believer, then you need to become children of Abraham, and this is how you do it. So that's going to be brought up again here in our chapter, but uh, gone is the notion of thinking that they're illegitimate, uh, and their only legitimacy is through Abraham, and that looks a certain way, that that tastes a certain way, that acts a certain way, um, that has a certain rhythm to life. And so he brings that up, but he's already moved Abraham off uh, to the side uh, to show them that they already have what the opponents are saying that they're missing. Wow, that is that is really profound, Pastor, because it is something that we all need those times where we're reminded of who we are. Too often we're either we're looking at other people and thinking, boy, I wish I had some of that, or we're looking at the past and wishing I lived there, or looking to the future, wish we were there. This is present tense. This is who you are. You're living it. You're, you're breathing it. You are saved in it. This is very important for us and very important for, for me today. So you're, you're preaching to me already, Pastor. This is wonderful. So let's dig in. Um, let's do verses 1 through 3. The first seven verses are so profound theologically, I'm excited to get into it. And a reminder to our listeners that we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. 1 through 3. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All right. So he says a lot of things. Where do you want to start with this? So let's um, let's talk about an heir, because uh, obviously that's um, that's the really important um, thematic. Uh, word here. So an heir is someone who has an inheritance, though at this time he's talking about an heir who has an inheritance. Um, Maybe the parents have not even um, died. They might not be orphaned, uh, but they could be. But Mm -hmm. in the age that this person is in, they can't, um, though they possess it, they can't um, take stewardship and ownership of it uh, through uh, through use, right? It's under mm-hmm. someone else's management, though it doesn't belong to that other person. So, like a uh, like a guardianship, like um, you know, it it could be a family, a, another family member. It could be um, in a wealthy household. It could be a, a slave who's put over the children, um, and and they've got to watch this household and and put in uh, good stewardship of it. Um, so the uh, so the heir, while they're while they're young, they really aren't any different than a slave because they're being told what to do. Um, they're being managed, even though they possess, <laughs> even though they possess um, a promise of an inheritance, um, and and so that's what he's dealing with. And now, the Galatians, um, uh, the Galatians, are the ones 
who who have it and they have it fully and completely they're not under managers they're they're the ones who have it fully and mm. they're get they're being it's like the deconstruction again they're being told you need to go back to or not back but um in a way it would be to go back mm-hmm. um, you need to be placed under managers um to be fully um to be fully uh, spiritual, righteous, holy, and right with God. But Paul is laying out that that's, that's actually the opposite direction. They have the inheritance. They're living in the inheritance. And, and he's talking about the former time um, when, uh, when a child, uh, using uh, living examples, when a child did not have this, but guardians were placed over them. Um, so he's deconstructing uh, the argument against the Galatians as if uh, they needed to be in this situation, basically enslaved under the law uh, as a as a manager, when now they've been set free in Christ. Wow, you know, and and this is this is that's very very helpful because it can be kind of confusing. He talks about child and slave, that they're equal, but that's not really his goal is not to try to unpack that dynamic of it. Right. But he's saying, you know, that they're under guardianship. Um, but guess what? You're not, but you're acting like you want to go back to that. And in Galatians three um, on Monday, we talked about the common theme and I'm seeing this here in chapter four too. Don't go back. Yes, you were in slavery. You were under guardianship, under these Jewish laws, under the elementary principles. But why would you go back to that? Then you have no freedom. You know, you're going back to slavery. You're going back to circumcision where you'll just be more requirements we put on you as opposed to the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, it's kind of like uh, you know you you like uh, you hear these stories where where a parent will will put into the last will that okay um, they have a million dollars waiting for them when they're eighteen, and and it's almost like that they get the million dollars and then they want to go back to not have the millions of dollars or something along those lines. Does that make sense or am I off here? Yeah, yeah. So you could, um, yeah, if uh, if we we would have an inheritance, but we we might put in restrictions and say um, uh, the Uh money has to be put under the management of like uh, a lawyer or a uh, money manager or whatever. And that person will um, act on behalf of this child um, to, to make sure that this child doesn't um, doesn't abuse the right of being a child. So the law is good. Mm -hmm. Um, but the law, the law is not the is, is not the relationship that God um, wants to ultimately have by us. That you're only doing things um, because you were told to do them or because you were forced to do them. We we want a relationship with God in which we love and trust in Him, not under threat, uh, but under um, the the freedom of of being um, truly fully children. Of God, so these these guardians and things. This this example that he's using is not really natural um, to the Gentile Galatians. Of course, there's kind of two audiences he's talking to, right? Um, mm-hmm. The Jewish Galatians and the Gentile Galatians. So the Gentile Galatians are being told uh, that this is a life that's really holy and righteous, and this is what God desires for you. 
And he's like, well, um, actually, um, we, we have a, you, Gentile Galatians, have a fuller relationship with God, a more mature and, and, <laughs> and brought to its completion relationship with God all through, through Christ. And they're telling, telling you to become um, under, under managers. And that's what the, that's what the Jewish Galatians should have uh, identified that this is, this is not the direction of a relationship. Now, uh, we'll be heading into their, their Gentile problem. The Gentiles were not without problems, uh, spiritual alienation from God, um, but their alienation with God was unique from what the Gentile or what the Jewish uh, believers had. So the Jewish believers had the promise, and they lived in the promise, and they were waiting for a fullness of that promise. And while they were waiting, the law is is used uh, for a purpose, uh, mm. but um, that is to draw us closer to our need uh, for Christ. And the Gentiles didn't have that, and and the Gentiles are being brought into to Christ directly. So we'll kind of need to work our way into that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Because I know we've talked about um, during Galatians, in our study of Galatians is you have a new relationship with God and then therefore a new relationship with the law. But the law is not no longer there to uh, uh, determine if you are with Christ, but it, it, it ends up pointing you to Christ and back to the Lord, you know. And, and this is a, an important distinction for us always to hit home. The law is good, like you said so well, and at the same time, it has, serves a new purpose in this relationship of pointing us back to him. For anything else in the first three verses? Um, for time, I think we should keep going. <laughs> Let's keep going. Verses <laughs> 4 and 5. This is, uh, verses 4 and 5 is one of those that I feel like next year on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, I'm going to have this as my epistle, no matter what's in the lectionary, because I was like, wow, this should be in Christmas. Um, anyways, I don't want to get into lectionary issues or something. I'm just saying this is the incarnation, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, like I said, this is an incarnational text here. What is Paul all saying here? So the, the Gentile Galatians were enslaved, um, and their enslavement was as, not as much to the law, because they were apart from a fellowship with God through the law, but they were enslaved to the elemental principles of the cosmos. So they were uh, enslaved to this fallen world and the idolatry and the uh, falseness of the message of this world. And, and you can still see it in our world today, right? There's a false preaching of the world that people have enslaved themselves to. But then there's that strong but. <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, this is not who you are. This is not what... Um, identifies you anymore, not as slaves, uh, because God has sent his son, born, a, uh, born of a woman under the law. So this son, who is not by nature under the law, but is, um, is uh, the will of God, he, he is um, the word of God, uh, now made incarnate, like you said, this is incarnational, and, mm -hmm. and set in the not just the perfect time because of geopolitical, but um, because of the revelation of God. This is 
uh, God's plan, even before he made time, he set this time uh, for the coming of his, his son. So all, all of time and the reality of having time was for this purpose, for the coming of the Son of God into the world. And so everything, the motion of the, the stars in the sky um, and every, uh, every moving of the, the sand uh, through the hourglass was, uh, was for a revelation of the fullness of time in the coming of, of Jesus, who places himself under the law, though he's not a lawbreaker, though he doesn't mm-hmm. need the guidance of guardians or teachers. He is God in the flesh, but he does this to fulfill the law on, on our behalf in order then to be the perfect sacrifice, the redeemer um, uh, uh, of those under the law. And, and that has a purpose. That has its end, which is to be adopted. So no, you're not enslaved. You're not children. You're not alienated. You're fully adopted with all rights as, as, as children of God. And, and, I, and I love the, the full encompassing of this that brings, um, now that you're kind of past, you, you will hopefully you're past all the Christmas traditions and all the Christmas um, consumerism and everything. And, and for me, it, it, it is helpful to see it outside of that time, time period because I just get so overwhelmed during Advent and Christmas that it's hard to refocus. But here the words fullness of time, meaning, like you said, it's a revelation of God that this happened at this time. Reminds me of Isaiah 9. Um, the people have seen a great light, and on them has light shined, showing us that the, the fullness, this is the time. It has happened. It is there. This Jesus, who Paul has a very high Christology already, is showing the humanness of him, but under the law because he took on all the law and never sinned. He did all of these things, all this humanity, and what was his purpose was not just to shine, quote, a kind of light um, that is better than any other light, but it's to redeem sinners so that they will know of their new identity, as you said, the new relationship with God as adopted as sons. What does it mean to be adopted? How would you, we have about two minutes here, Pastor, how do we talk about adoption, redemption, how that all fits? Yeah, so here, adoption, um, there, there was a cost involved, um, because this is, a, this, is, um, this is children who were enslaved, owned, owned by someone else, and in, our, in, in, um, in reality, uh, through the fall, humanity was, hand, humanity handed itself, ourselves, over into an enslavement to, to sin and death and the power of the devil, so that we needed to be redeemed. A price had to be paid. Uh, but thanks be to God, thanks be to God, He was willing to take that responsibility. So in our lives, it, you know, we have this thought of, um, you know, why, why doesn't God do something about mm-hmm. sin and suffering? Um, we need to be reminded and pointed back to the cross where he has stepped into our time. He has come born of a woman. He has seen his fullness of time so that he could redeem, he could lay down his life to purchase you. So now, um, as adopted children, 
um, there is no distinction. <laughs> There's no mm-hmm. distinction between an adopted child and, and a child by nature. He is a child. Jesus is the child by nature to the Father. But we are adopted children. But that's not to create a distinction or a separation, but a unity as joined together children of the Father. So when Jesus says, Father, we are saying that same thing. We have that same relationship. When when we are baptized into Christ and he says, um, uh, today I have begotten you, we are mm-hmm. begotten of the Father in the waters of our baptism. As it says, this is perfect. As he says that we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ, neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, and no distinction of the children who are adopted into Christ. Right now, we need to take our break. With that on our hearts and our minds, we are studying Galatians chapter 4 of Pastor John Shank. We'll be right back. Wednesday on Issues Etc., Dr. Ken Sherb will lead us in a teaching on Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. We'll discuss donor conception with Katie Faust and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Some music invites us to quiet our minds and listen. Other music is perfectly happy to have us sing along, and you'll hear both kinds on the next Sing for Joy. I hope you'll join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. And welcome back. We are studying Galatians chapter 4 with Pastor John Shank. And we have just gotten to the pinnacle, I would argue, of our verses today where it talks about adoption as sons. And now we get to verses 6 and 7 where we get even a fuller picture, as it says, in the fullness of time, a fuller picture of what this means. So let us read verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Verse 6, he does not allow us to get away with asking the question, but am I a son? I'm not sure. He says, because you are sons. What is he all telling us here about our identity in Christ? Yeah, I 
and what is he saying about Christ's identity too? Right. So I mm. think we start we start there. We start with with um, with Jesus, so that we we know um, that when we have been brought into Christ by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, we've been brought into the Son of God, and um, and united to Him. So the Spirit's job, he, and and it's interesting here. Um, it's kind of a unique. Uh, construction where it says he said the spirit of his son right mm-hmm. so it's not uh, not just the holy spirit and again the, these are the same spirit right <laughs> it is the holy spirit the the spirit of god but it's it's the spirit of his of his son it's a unique trinitarian construction in which mm-hmm. the spirit is um is is christ's spirit um and so we got the father son and holy spirit all together in in just a short um short construction and that's the spirit that brings us into unity with the Father, but it's a unity with the Father through the sacrificial death and resurrection, his redeeming work of the Son. And so that's when we can say, yes, we are children of God because we're united to the Son of God. And and that's why there's no doubting uh, our place with the Father, because Jesus, who is the Son, has united himself to us. We are part of the body of Christ. And in this body of Christ, being baptized into it, he gives us his spirit, um, and it's by the spirit that we are um, able then to confess. By the working of the spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. But we can't say that God is our Father apart from the working of the spirit. We can't say that Jesus is Lord apart from the working of the spirit, and therefore we glorify the spirit in the working of the, our Trinitarian God who has saved us. I love the language and how you highlighted it as well, that this spirit was poured, poured into our hearts. Reminds me of Romans 5, where it says, yeah, um, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, showing it's from outside of ourselves and poured into us which thanks be to God for that, because we try to drum up all this stuff from within us, and it usually leads us to more despair, which is really what the, 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 the Judaizers are doing, is trying to drum up stuff that is from you saying, well, if you do this, you do this, guaranteed they probably talk about feelings like we talk about in our culture <laughs> and all of this, but here it comes from outside of ourselves into our hearts from, you know, uh, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and we cry with our hearts, or cry with our mouths too, Abba, Father. What does Abba, Father mean? So, I mean, there has been um, a lot said about the <laughs> intimacy of Abba uh, as like um, a more intimate word, like a, a daddy word. Um, but I, I think we maybe could make too much of that, kind of drawing on Andrew Doss's commentary on, mm-hmm. on Galatian, the Concordia commentary. I would encourage our, our members uh, to get the um, the commentary or, or talk to their pastor about uh, uh, grabbing it from his sh- uh, shelf and taking a look, um, because there are t- uh, it's 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 more common to have the um, the Hebrew Abba and uh, the the Greek. Um, uh, Patras, uh, father connected. Um, so mm. it's just a, another word for father, but I think that there's something being used here. I think there's a purpose 
of him, because then he's talking to a maybe primarily um, Gentile Greek-speaking audience. So then, why does he slip into the to the Hebrew? I don't think it's just for the intimacy, <laughs> daddy kind of connotations. Um, I think he's showing us that the Hebrews, the 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 Jewish uh, believers, that father is your father. And so he kind of he's making that connection that this isn't a separate, you know, Gentile. You get this Gentile father relationship. No, you get the full Hebrew um, chosen, called out um, Abraham father relationship. And I, I think it I think that's purposeful. And that's you know that I read that as well that it 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 represented an emphasis of the the connection of all crowds being united as one, which really it makes a lot of sense when you're looking at chapter three. It makes a lot of sense right now. I mean, from the verses we have prior to this, he's talking about adoption of son. There, is, as you said, there is no distinction between the siblings. <laughs> the siblings are all united and one in Christ, and I found that interesting because. A lot of a lot of ink and a lot of songs have been uh, written with that understanding of Abba being daddy, which Dr. Doss doesn't seem to really deny that completely. He said there's right. definitely an, an intimate relationship there, but maybe not as far as we have um, taken it in our especially in nowadays. But definitely an emphasis of we are all united, and so he says it twice. I even saw a translation that said Father, Father. Is it just that extra emphasis of, okay, this is uh, um, both nations are together on this. And this is what he's saying. This is our relationship, not as a slave, but as a son. And as a son, an heir through God, meaning all the inheritance, all the riches of righteousness has been bestowed on you. So why would you want to go back? That's why I'm going to keep emphasizing that. Why go back and put yourself under guardianship and even worse, slavery when you have freedom in Christ? Last thoughts before we get to these last, I mean, this is a kind of a, it's a turning point in verse eight um, through the rest of our verses. So I really want to make sure that seven, one through seven is figured out because it gives us a, um, catapults us into the next verses. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I, I just, um, I just keep thinking about um, common applications for us to, mm-hmm. as, as, um, as Christians in, in our day, in our age, where we do struggle with, um, you know, segmenting, and um, where we, uh, I guess, I guess the, uh, the 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 most divided hour uh, amongst um, all nationalities is uh, is uh, that uh, Sunday morning hour, mm-hmm. which is so mm-hmm. sad. It's amazingly sad. Where here he's he's making it clear that any kind of notion of of separation between us as as this human um, race is uh, is 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 made null and void for we're all children of God, um, worked by by Christ, brought into this baptismal uh, reality in which He gives us His Spirit, and, and we live together in that unity. And that's and that's a that is a huge thing. And one of the beauties of Acts, I would say, and also the epistles is that Paul doesn't deny the cultural issues that are at hand. Like he doesn't say, why don't you just give up all those, all this, you know, past stories and give up all this stuff. Clearly just get over all that and just 
and just worship Jesus. No, there's there's definitely, and he's even addressing it when even saying Abba Father, showing, hey, there's differences here. People are different. Um, but we are all, and this is what you talked about too, we all redeemed, um, we've been paid for, redeem means paid the ransom, and and that has been done by the blood of Jesus. You think about normal adoptions, they cost a lot to adopt a child, and in many ways it should be. Um, but but to think about this is that the adoption we have it, with God is, is a higher price, which is a person's and God's life and his own blood. That's what unites us and brings us together as God's people. So let's move on. Verses 8 through 11. Formerly, when, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Some pretty strong words here after he said some pretty loving words in the first seven verses. What, what's the transition Paul's making? So the transition is, is um, an honest one of he's laid out. He dis- deconstructed the argument that was uh, their temptation a temptation to set aside the from the beginning of this letter to set aside the gospel to to find another not that there is ever another gospel mm-hmm. um and so this uh verse 9 to to turn back would be an um as we kind of use uh, apostasy uh to deny in the sense to turn away from uh the truth and to turn back to an error and i i think here that paul's using this in a way, um, to kind of connect us to um, the the imagery of the slavery that they had in the Exodus, and that God mm. freed them from that slavery, and yet when they were brought out into the wilderness, their their first response in the midst of struggle was, let us turn back. I want to turn back. Right. Um, right. And so, God has brought us into the greater exodus. Now we're uh, let, going into uh, transfiguration with uh, Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus on the mountain, and they're talking to him about his, his exodus. Here we have a greater exodus, a greater um, uh, you know, redemption from a, a worse slavery into a, a greater freedom to, to lead us into the eternal promised land. And as we go out and we face any kind of struggle, our first response is, why don't we just kind of go back? Um, don't turn back. Yeah. Don't ever turn yeah. back. Why would you ever want to turn back? And that's his thing here. Why would you ever want, want to turn back? Um, because you, you now know God, and, and it's better than that. You are, you are known by God, which gives us the proper, proper flow of conversion, that God knew you, calls you, and now knows you, and you now know him um, because you are known by him. And that's interesting, too. I love how you're making the connection to Exodus, because I, I wouldn't, have, wouldn't have made that, but it is so true. They go out into the desert, and their first thought when they were a little hungry, a little thirsty was, you know, it was so much better back in Egypt. Um, and we have a tendency to do that as humans, we, we're, we're, brokenness that we have is that we'll look to the past and say, remember how great it used to be. 
when we forget about the brokenness and the sin and everything that was there. I mean, literally, the Israelites were acting like they were having steak and lobster every single night. Well, probably not lobster. We know that went to work in those days. But but, <laughs> but we're having steak and potatoes every single night. And we basically, you know, people are feeding us grapes or something like that. But that wasn't at all what it was like. But they were acting like that the moment a little trial came into their lives. And they wanted to go back just to capture something. And if circumcision is going to give it to us, by all means, I'm going to take it. But he is, and, and in verse 10, he's even talking about it's not just circumcision. They are going back to other things like days and months and seasons and years that they're going back to those traditions when they totally are just going back to being under a guardianship, under slavery, all of that. And then he laments all of this. And he says what we all will say at times. Did you know basically? Did you hear nothing I said? <laughs> did I just waste all my words? Did I waste all my time? How does this? I mean, how can we re, how can we relate with this today in, in in the church or in our lives? Any thoughts? Oh boy, yeah, um, yeah. There's a great struggle for for the church, right? We raise our children, um, we invest our time and our energy to give them the truth, and and yet so often there is a turning away. Um, and and we wonder did did we labor in vain um, did we did we what did we do wrong um, and, and we we pray and we keep coming after um, and draw them uh, desired by the Holy Spirit to draw them to draw them back and then you know here uh, he, he's being pretty crafty uh, in in the in the wise sense of the word not um, pejorative but crafty in the sense <laughs> that he's lumping both. Um, both Jews and Gentiles together, because when he says observing days and months and seasons, he's not saying like the Jewish days and months and seasons, nor is he saying right. the Gentile days and months and seasons. He's like saying you both. <laughs> either yeah. one is either a slave enslavement to the things that are not God or a slave to a guardian. Neither one is not the freedom that you have in Christ. So he's just like, <laughs> he's getting them both in one, in one line. My goodness, and that's a good point, because you might have the impression that the first three chapters, that he's just railing on the Jewish end of things. Like, ah, oh, you Jews, you know, and you could see that you could, as they're reading this, that the Gentiles are getting puffing their chests a little bit and going, yeah, you guys have been against us from the beginning, and I never liked you in the first place. You know, you need to repent. And all of a sudden, he kind of turns on them and going, oh, yeah, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your days and seasons that you yeah. continually go back to to try to prove whatever it is that you have. Yeah, he's bringing it all together. That is a great, great point. Yeah, he calls um, them out pretty harshly. He's like, you didn't even know God. Right. You oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah, were yeah. slaves and, and, and by nature are not gods. You know, uses gods as an emphasis there as well. Right. Wow. I would, this is where I just love, I love the humanness of, of all of this. And I'd love to be able to see the reaction of these folks when they're reading the letter, probably publicly um, to them and the reactions in the crowd. I mean, this is better than any voters meeting we could ever have. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to verses 12 through 14. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a, tri a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus." Uh, what is Paul saying here? 
Um, I, I think it's a little confusing um, because I, as I've um, kind of looked into to, uh, the commentary, as I've, I've as I've mentioned um, uh, by by uh, Andrew Doss, it, he's kind of convincing me, though it's not the traditional way of. In- of translating it. So he would put it, uh, brothers, uh, I entreat you, uh, become as I am, uh, and as uh, I also have become as you are. And then he, instead of putting it that as you have done, you did me no wrong, he's saying you, you wronged me. Um, so that mm-hmm. connects us to what we'll have for the rest of the paragraph, which is about um, his time in their presence was in one way, thanks be to God, how they acted towards him when he was in their presence. But now when he is not present with them, how have they acted? And in this oh, outside of yeah. his presence, they have wronged him, and, and which connects us to that previous verse. Did I labor in vain? What, how you're acting right now, it, it is wronging me and, and the gospel and Christ. Um, this is not this is not right. I, I've, obviously, something's going wrong with the whole, which, which is the whole language, right? The whole language of the section is pointing out that something has gone wrong. This whole letter is pointing out they're, they're being tempted in a wrong direction. Therefore, the ones who are going after this are wronging him. Uh, there's probably a way to understand it of you've done me no wrong um, and making it more about the connection of how he was treated in their presence and things. But Overall, however you're going to translate it, we have to understand that they're they're doing something that is um, wrong in his sight as mm-hmm. the one who was uh, blessed, called to be the one to bring them the gospel originally, um, and outside of his presence, going after this is going against the preaching of that gospel that he has brought to them. That is very helpful because we are going to have to dig into the next number of verses in order to get the fullness of exactly what you're saying. So he says, you did me no wrong. And would we say it's a sarcastic kind of way of talking? I, you know, I, I, I tend to think in sarcasm a lot of times. Or how would you describe that? Because you, you're making a very good point of that you did me no wrong, but you did do me wrong. Kind of, is that right. how you're saying it? Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah he's, he just translates the 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 negative to go with the with the other portion of the sentence and to leave you actually did me wrong uh standing alone which it's just uh oh, it's kind of okay. a very unique way of translating um the uh, the greek there um but as we move into to 13 um he's talking about um his his reality of being in their presence and what brought them, what brought him into the to their presence, was completely God's God's activity and His motivation. He's almost he's almost um, confessing that it wasn't His original intention to bring them the gospel, but because of this ailment, he 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 had to. Um, so it's like he's uh, kind of confessing something here that, but then his confession about about his plan, it reveals God's plan. So why would you ever go against God's plan? God brought you um, grace and mercy in Christ, and then out of his grace and mercy, he brought that message directly to you, not by me. If it was up to me, I would have never come or something like that. If you could read that into it, right? But because of my ailment, I was here. And because I was here, I must preach the gospel, 
right? right, uh, and, right. And, so he, and so he did, and they received it well, which is the next few verses. Right. Right, yeah. Well, 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 this is this is great because this is almost a a Nineveh story, right? That well, I have yeah. to go there, and it probably is going to work, but I don't really like being there. I'd rather go to Tarsus. You know, he'd rather have gone to Corinth or he'd rather have gone to Philippi or something. But he had to stop in South Galatia. Here we are, and the, and he says the emphasis is he preached the gospel. They listened. They didn't despise me. They treated me as Christ himself. This goes to, you know, Matthew 25, you know, that they served me as if I was Christ. And so there's positive things. Now we'll get to the last part of this where it wasn't quite so positive. So we'll finish it out. We have about six minutes left here, Pastor, so we'll try to make this uh, uh, the fullness of everything. Verse 15, what then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am a person with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So it's not quite so positive as the last number of verses. <laughs> what, is he, what is he saying about him? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely a change, right? Like, and and I, I mean, uh, talk about being perplexed, right? Paul, Paul was right. there, and he was there in weakness. And while he was there in weakness, like, I, I don't know, I would imagine... Uh, everybody who uh, kind of talks about evangelism to to the unchurched and what we need to look like and what we need to sound like and and the demonstrations of uh, why a person would convert to Christianity. You got to lay out lay out a rationale or something. But you see, it's like none of that because mm-hmm. you convert to Christianity and Paul here. Um, is is struggling in the flesh. He's suffering, and they had to minister to him as he brought to them uh, the truth of the gospel. Um, but they received it well. Um, they treated him as an angel of God, um, as a messenger sent by God, and and um, and and that's how we should that's that's how we should receive those who bring the gospel. Um, there should be such a love and respect um, uh, for God that we would uh, desire to um, rejoice in the message uh, that is brought by the message, not to boast in the messenger. And that's what we have here, right? It's mm-hmm. not to uh, make too much of, of the individual, um, but is to make more of Christ. And so they're trying to, you know, they're, they're, the, the Jewish uh, Gentiles are trying to, to shut you out, he says, um, so they're trying to make a distinction of you to say that you're not real Christians. You're not. You're 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 some some other thing, unless you become like us, and and in that way um, exclude them, um, and 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 in that way they could boast in themselves, and and so this is all being exposed and and shine the the true light upon it. And in, in, in this shining uh, the true light upon it, he's showing his, his pastoral heart and care uh, when he says in verse 19, um, mm-hmm. my little children, he loves them. 
He loves them as a father loves his own children. Um, they are spiritual children of Paul as by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Um, they are, are true children uh, of God. Um, and so he's in anguish um, that in his absence they would so quickly uh, fall uh, for, for that which is not true. And it's interesting because he, you can tell he's grieving, he's lamenting. Not only, I'm afraid I've labored in vain, and he ends with, I am perplexed about you because you guys were serving me so well that you even would have gouged your eyes out for me. You had such love and grace and peace when you served me, someone who probably was not worth it. And after all that, now I'm your enemy? I'm telling you the truth, and I'm an enemy of you, da-da-da-da. And he, then he changes his tone a little bit, like you said, a very pastoral Paul here, where he says, I am in anguish because I want for you to grow in faith. And this is something that I think is important for us when we think about our confirmands. My encouragement to all of our listeners is to pray for our confirmands as they go and hear the word of God for our Lutheran school um, children, obviously any children, I'm not saying Lutheran schools, but for all of them, we grieve and we have anguish because we just want them to be formed until Christ formed is in you, that you want them to grow and to understand all the riches that we have in Christ. Pastor, we have about a minute and a half here, actually about a minute. Any last thoughts to sum all this together and, and to help us out as we conclude? Yeah, you know, this whole, this whole section, you know, Paul's the one who preached to them. Paul's the one who brought them uh, the truth of God's Word, and how easy it was for false teachers to come in and act like Paul didn't have their best interests in mind when he gave them, oh yeah, that's good, but you need more. There's nothing more than Christ, dear brothers and sisters. There's nothing more that we could ever need or ever receive than the fullness of Yes, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, his only son, to die for us in order to make us children. He was willing to give of the one who was by, by nature his son to make us who were alienated and enemies sons. And that's the relationship we have with him. And then that's the relationship we should have in the church. Uh, we should always push to be in each other's presence. So let's do that. Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, helping us today in Galatians chapter 4. Pastor Shank, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, sent for us his son to redeem you that you might receive adoption as sons. All this reminds us that we have a God who is with us for his purpose. All this we give him all the glory. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.